Welcome to the Mad Men Happy Hour, the officially unofficial podcast for Mad Men on AMC. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And before we get into the recap this evening, we have an extra special announcement to make. Right off the bat? Right off the bat. No foreplay? Zero. Let's slip it right in, huh? Yep. So we're doing a Kickstarter. Uh, oh, oh, that's not the announcement. Which announcement what? are we talking about? <laughs> so that's it. Okay, Jesus. Uh, we're doing a Kickstarter for season six or five point B or five point two of Breaking Bad, the final season, uh, for our Breaking Good television show. I know there's probably some crossover here. Um, we are not holding it hostage. In fact, we wanted to make the funding level ten dollars, but mm-hmm. I swear to God, Kickstarter would not let us. They were kind of dicks about it. They're like, "You can't do a podcast for any less than $1,000." Yeah, they told us what podcast costs. We're like, "Hey, we've been doing this for free for a long time." Yeah. Which which also, uh thank you for mentioning that. Why are we asking for money? Well, we got a whole video on our website or on the Kickstarter project page. You can get to it at kickstarter.baldmove.com or click on the banner at the top of our site uh where we explain why, but in a brief nutshell, we want to make Breaking Good better. We want to have more feedback options. We want to get the cast out quicker. We want to have more cast, including like instant right after the show is over podcasts. Yeah, get uh, back to the good old days of Breaking Good. Yeah. and All that cool stuff we used to do. To do that, we've got to steal a little time away from the man, and the man is going to steal a little money away from us. So we're looking uh, to use Kickstarter as a revenue model to kind of make up that gap. Basically... Yeah, we, could, we, I, we don't need to pitch people here, right? Like, they can go check it out. I want to pitch hard. <laughs> okay. Pitch a fastball. All I right. Guess. Anyway, that's short of it. Um, We're going to do the podcast no matter what y'all do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Can't not, stop us. You cannot stop us. Try. <laughs> Try to stop us from covering the last uh, uh, season of Breaking Bad. But if you want to be a part of helping make it a little bit better, check out our Kickstarter. There's some cool rewards. There's some awesome stretch goals. The podcast just gets better and better. The more money and the more time we can put into it. So it's an experiment. If it falls on its face, we'll forget it ever happened. So uh, we'd appreciate you guys at least checking out the project page. Again, it's got a video of our dumb, ugly mugs uh, pitching it. Uh, some witty copy yeah, if you're by just me. just curious what we look like. Yeah. I know a lot of you have asked. There you go. Yep. Go check out the video. Prepared to be shocked in high def. <laughs> the hideousness. All right, that's enough. Enough pimping up front. Uh, let's get into the recap. This week we're talking about Season 6, Episode 11, titled Favors. Uh, do we want to uh, talk about what we thought of the episode, or do we want to talk about the name game, or what do you want to do? Ten. So a free form here. Ten. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. This was a great episode. Great. Yeah, it's, it's you know, people been wondering, well, how can the wiener make Don's infidelity more interesting. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone called Sally walking in on him <laughs> mid adultery. And yeah. everyone's reaction was just fantastic across uh, the board. It felt so real. Everyone acted the hell out of it. In fact, yeah. 
it's rare that I just kind of get caught up and just forget about the whole artifice of it and just as engrossed in a story. Mm-hmm. And that happens on a regular basis for Mad Men, which is why I think, uh, no offense to Breaking Bad, <laughs> um, I think it's the best show on television right now. Okay. You're still not going to budge on The Wire, are you? Ever. Well, I don't know, man. (laughs) I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, yeah, so I'm totally on board with that. Uh, Ten, I thought all the stuff happening with Peggy and Pete and Ted and Don uh, and Don and everybody in his freaking life was just fantastic this episode. And all the history of these characters continues to snowball and make these situations better and better, pay off higher, uh, harder and harder. And and even characters who don't have much history, Bob Benson, for instance, man, what a powerful scene. Yeah, he's been a beast this year. Yeah. He's a yeah. powerful conspiracy theory engine is what he is. <laughs> Not anymore, I don't think. I think those are laid to rest. By the way, I'm convinced after this week's episode, Bob Benson is not gay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's the turn of events there. I'll ask you how you got to that conclusion when we get to it. Uh, but let's start at the beginning, shall we? All right. There's the recap. Uh, Peggy gets ready for work and spots a rat in her house, and she quickly runs out the door. Just a really short scene there, kind of setting up everything else that is going to happen with Peggy in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don then arrives at work to find Roger in his office looking for an orange that he dropped. Uh, apparently the orange is from Sunkist, who set up a pitch meeting with SCNP. And they don't want to get out of print, but Don wants them on TV, so he tells Roger to get Harry You got to watch it, man. Uh, bowls full of oranges is one of the leading cause of death or dismemberment <laughs> by television stars. Yeah, uh, especially with guys named Ted. I mean, yeah, you dangerous got to around watch. Ted's. You've got to keep your head on a swivel there, chugga ga 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 For sure. Those oranges are coming for you next, pal. Yep. Uh, you notice that Don, like... You know, casually gives it up to Harry Crane, the 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 mastery of the television medium that he mm-hmm. possesses. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, he's the only guy who really is dealing with television. What well, uh, that Don I, has any interaction with, right? It's funny because I feel like I take Harry Crane more seriously because Don in that one scene. Oh, still oh, massive like he's tool. vouching for Harry because because remember we actually had this debate about how good at his job is he he's got like all these executives and producers on his speed dial yeah which they didn't have back then but in his Rolodex or whatever <laughs> um, but you know what I mean it's like yeah. we, we kind of debated like is he any good at his job is he a bullshit artist I mean Don thinks he's good apparently so. yeah uh, no objections from Roger so he must think pretty highly of him too. And he, then he just blatantly disregards his own safety. Juggling oranges, Roger. <laughs> God. Why don't you play? Why don't you juggle Pete's loaded gun? <laughs> uh, that'd be four items. That's too many. He, he's a novice. <laughs> uh, so then we go over. Well, we come out of the office, and Pete's mother has shown up uh, with her nurse, I guess, Manolo. Yep. Uh, Pete invites Manolo into his office while Peggy keeps his mother company outside. And during their chat, Pete's mother mistakes Peggy for Trudy and reveals uh, the true nature of her and Manolo's relationship. Manolo. <laughs> they have been physically intimate. Uh, and I just love Peggy's reaction. Did she go to China for that tea? <laughs> well, get, get her back here. <laughs> I yeah. need to get out of here. It's pretty great. Yeah, fantastic. Um, 
I'm trying to speed along the early stuff here because you will get at yeah, the end I'm, we'll have plenty to talk about. I get much resistance here. Uh, okay, so inside Pete's office, he gives Manolo a little extra cash for the attention that he's been paying to his mother. Hell yeah! Uh, Manolo is reluctant to take it, uh, but eventually accepts. Pleasure's been all his, Jim. Apparently so, uh, but P- Pete doesn't believe that. <laughs> Not with my mother, it wasn't. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Uh, anyway, we go over to the the. Uh, Franken Mansion. I c- cancel Fra- Francis Frank Stein. Stein. <laughs> it's hard to say. <laughs> uh, where Betty's arguing with Sally about some field trip she was going to take to uh, model you in. Uh, where she's going to be one of only two girls in the group. I think Julie was the other one. Yeah, and damn, and and damn it, Mom, Daddy supports my dreams. He's my hero. <laughs> right. The last time we'll ever hear Sally Draper say anything remotely <laughs> similar to those words. Yeah. Yeah, she's going to go running and screaming home to Betty pretty soon. <laughs> uh, I, I remember being in situations like this where it's like, oh, you're how old is Sally at this point? Is she like 14? 14, I want to say. Okay. All right. So maybe that's the, the appropriate age for her mother to still be a little worried about that stuff. Yeah, but you got to let her take her field trips, which she does, of course. I, yeah. yeah. What do you think of uh, Henry Lampshade and Castle Frankenstein with uh, <laughs> what's the point of a mansion if you spend all your time in here? Yeah. Every scene we see of them is in their kitchen. Yeah. Well, that's what's called. You might live in a mansion, but the showrunners don't have an unlimited budget, pal. <laughs> True. And I'd much rather see them in the kitchen than that creepy bedroom scene we saw last. Yeah. We don't want this turning into Daunton Abbey. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Daunton Peggy. Da- what? I don't know. I'm just throwing random just character random names? names in okay, yeah. Downton Abbey. Sure. And seeing what I got. That that makes total sense. I bet Kelly laughed. <laughs> okay. Uh, when Don gets home, uh, Mitchell Rosen, who is the son of uh, Sylvia and Arnold, mm-hmm. is talking with Megan on the couch. And um, when he leaves, Megan tells Don that... Uh, He's being called up for military service. He's 1A. So I guess he came to talk to Megan about the possibility of fleeing to French Canada. Yeah. Is that what I'm, 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 I'm hearing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she might know people in Canada that he could go stay with or something, you know. And not, not a bad option. No, I mean. It's probably, he felt like it was his only option. Good enough for Bill Clinton. What does it's that funny. Mean? He I ponders all the former presidential courses of actions. I can flee to Canada. I can join the Air National Guard. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right. We cover. Uh, we, we, but we're... interesting moment here. Uh, Don says that he can't spend his life on the run. That it's not their problem. Right. Uh, obviously paralleling what Don has spent his life doing, being on the run from uh, not only the authorities, not only his, or not only authorities, but also his previous life. Mm. Yes, that I mean, was his true identity. He's ballsy, I'm to say. Yeah, right. Uh, a lot of uh, pot meat kettle type of moments in this episode. I mean, you got later on Pete calling uh, Manolo a rapist. Uh, Pete, yeah, take a look in the mirror, buddy. <laughs> Lots of uh, pot calling kettle black in this episode. Yes. Uh, so we go over to Teddy, Peggy, and Pete at dinner, and they are having a drunken dinner. Pete is wasted. Uh, Peggy's getting there. Ted is the designated driver. There's a moment of flirting between Ted and Peggy that Pete picks up on. And when Ted leaves the table, Pete calls her on it. And she admits it, but she says nothing can happen. Nothing can come from it. 
Uh, and Pete asks her not to pity him because he's not apparently the important one. Except for he's certainly wanting. He's in full Pete pity mode. Yes. Absolutely. You, 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 just the idea that he's not important. I mean, he's one of the most important people at that company. Yeah, uh, he's. De- I mean, he's done. He's a got lot. good cause to feel sorry for himself. He's Pete Campbell for Christ's sake. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm not denying that. Certainly, but sir, and and even he's not exactly at the peak of his Pete powers. Neither. No. Hell no. Like yeah, Duck. What's know. Duck? Was it Duck Thompson? Mm-hmm. Duck Thompson said the best he can do is moving him to Nebraska or some other. You True. Know, yeah, he asshole into the country. Yeah. No offense, Nebraska. I mean, I live in Indiana, <laughs> so it's not like it's a massive upgrade. I'm yeah. just saying, from a New Yorker's perspective, it might as well be Greater Siberia. Sure, sure. Um. So after he asks for that, uh, Peggy tells him about the conversation with his mother, which uh, he is <laughs> thoroughly repulsed by. Is he? Or is uh, he? I feel like is is the reason that he's so nonchalant about it is because he's black plastered. Like I don't understand where. What do you mean nonchalant about it? He didn't seem to take it serious. He seemed to find it funny. You know, yeah, he's making well, jokes I mean, he's about definitely it. Definitely drunk. Why did? When did he become really pissed off about it? When he thought that it might actually be happening? And why did Pete ever think this was happening? Did he really think Manolo was fucking his mother? Why would Peggy lie about this? No, I'm not saying she lied. I'm saying the. Why the, would he think she lied? That's I'm what not, I'm saying. I'm not saying Peggy lied. I'm saying his mother is a addle-brained, oh. uh, you know, demented old lady. Unfortunately. Yeah, and well, her first person account is not exactly all that reliable. That's true. That is true. And given his history of pointing that out uh, and throwing that in her face, you think he might not take her seriously. I mean, right? Manolo's a gift from heaven. Yeah. He's like taking perfect care. I mean, do you, okay, do you think Manolo's fucking his mom? Yeah. Really? Because the episode set it up as such. You still think uh, now? At a meta level, yes. Yeah. What do you mean at a meta level? Like analyzing, okay, this this is an episode of Mad Men. This is not designed to trick me. This is designed to explain events as they are happening, right? But you don't see Manolo having sex with his mom. All you hear is her mm-hmm. talking about how she's never felt fire in her loins and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so you're asking me if you, Jim they Jones. are physically hooking up, not just that she is attracted to him. Yes. Do you think Manolo knows Pete Campbell's mother in the biblical sense? <laughs> it's a point blank period question, Jim. Uh, I have to go with Bob Benson and say no. Then okay, Bob Bob knows the guy better than anybody, and he says that he doesn't swing that way. All right, right. So you're probably right about that. Well, she's probably delusional. But then again, and the poor guy's getting fired over nothing. Then again, Bob Benson's a pathological liar, apparently. That's something we also that's know true. is true. And that's the one that's the one thing that Matt, Matthew Weiner's copped to regarding Benson is that he's a liar. So which probably means up, he's not. This sets up a very <laughs> interesting uh dichotomy here. No, it's not dichotomy, but a scenario where you have not only an insane person telling the story she's not insane. claiming things. Well deluded. she's yeah, she's deluded. Uh claiming that things happened, and then a pathological liar also claiming that they happened. <laughs> Uh, to didn't happen. To, it didn't happen to save the job of his friend. This, uh, okay. We're getting way ahead of ourselves. Yeah, yeah, we are. Okay, all right. 
But we're, we need to analyze the situation. I How's think. it going? Okay. Yeah. Well, I just was, I'm shocked to hear you. Uh, I'm coming around. I'm saying no. Manolo's innocent. Okay. I'm shocked to hear you thought that he wasn't. Yeah. No. I I took the the stuff at face value. That He's a shameless said. flirt, but I don't think that. Uh, yeah. I mean, he shows up in his his going out suit. clothes. Yeah, at uh, Pete's house later mm-hmm. on. Right. But I don't know if he's just escorting her and she's a little deluded and thinks that he's supposed to be there for dinner or... Yes. Because Pete, Pete We already know that's him. true. We may not know that's true. Pete says that I'd like to have my mother to myself this evening. Were they supposed to go out for dinner, all of them? Or was he just delivering her and usually he sticks around th- to take her back? I think Pete was trying to be nice to his mother and like play it off cool. Mm-hmm. But then when she was like, oh, I don't want him to leave. He's like, he's got plan, you know, like basically, okay, fine. I'll tell you the honest truth, which is his world does not revolve around you. You crazy bat. <laughs> okay. See, I read that as she's crazy. She won't. She's. If I lie to her and say that he has other plans, she's not going to question me because she doesn't know any better. Hmm. That's how I read that no. at first, but now I'm coming around. Yeah, I mean, that guy's got to have some time off, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I don't, I don't know. We'll uh, we'll talk about that more, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, uh, do you think... Yeah. So, 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 do you think... Ted comes back, sees them all chummy. Yeah. Uh, jealous? Definitely jealous. Surprised? Uh, definitely surprised, especially because, as far as he knows, Pete's happily married, right? Uh, yeah. People I, still think that Pete is happy with Trudy living that, in the suburbs. It seems like to be secret he's keeping from everyone, except for his mother somehow smoked it out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. because of the toothbrush and the long term, uh-huh. uh, you know, the long term looking of the Pete Pete Pit. So does this give Ted some ideas about where this might go with Peggy, even though he's married, because he thinks Pete is still happily married? Ted's an interesting guy, man. I'm really digging his character this season. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Uh, I think he's trying very hard to be a responsible adult and a good man. Yes. But I also feel like he has fallen out of love with his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know. But he was also kind of a dick to her, not just out of love. Like He was kind of a dick to her at the award show. So, uh, What did he do at the award show? He was just really condescending to her, and oh, was that when he sat next to Abe and was looking over at, at yes, at Abe she, and Peg, he took Abe's took his chair, yeah. He's, he's I fucking Peggy right in front of her, yeah, and when yeah, she yeah. asked like legitimate questions, he's like really snippy and a dick about it, uh-huh. uh, and demeaning okay. her like I can't believe you don't know, blah blah blah. I, I it's I don't know, man. Like I've late, I really like Ted, but then I think back to some of the things he's pulled. I'm like, it's hard for me to decide. What I should be feeling about him, which I guess makes him a okay. realistic, well-rounded character. Definitely, yeah, and and we'll get a little more into the relationship here in a couple scenes. Frankly, I'm way bigger of an asshole than Ted. <laughs> and uh, people, most people are, I think, and except people, for Bob Benson. People still seem to like me, so <laughs> well, I'm walking a fine line there, buddy. Uh, all right, Arnold shows up at uh, Don's door to talk about his son dropping in, and. He and Don end up at a bar where Arnold reveals his real concerns for his son, um, tinged with some some sort of shame, I guess, that he's not stronger, that he's not willing to fight. Um, I well, mean, these are both guys who've been to war. Yeah. 
um, and kind of feel an honor in having done that, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that, you know, I don't know. I mean, so this is the services part of that bargain. But what if yeah. the service is bullshit? Yeah. I mean, you that's, can that's hon- Don's position. You can honorably here. serve in an unjust cause, and yeah. hell, I mean, that's half of what Game of Thrones plot is. <laughs> But it does, it's, you know, when you got these old guard who, uh, you know, old kind of conservative values and Mm -hmm. value service to the country and whatnot, um, you know, this is kind of, you can tell that they're kind of figuring out. It's like, well, you know, they should be stronger and harder, but they're also, I mean, that's what you want for your kids, man. You want for your kids to have an easier life. Yeah. To be able to be softer, to Mm -hmm. to leave them a world where they can let down their armor and, you know, be more open. Yeah. Uh, they didn't get that with Vietnam, apparently. <laughs> uh, so they talk about that for a while. And what I thought was a pretty powerful scene, I thought the guy playing Arnold, uh, I don't know, did a really good job here. I saw Tropic Thunder. It didn't seem that bad. <laughs> Jeez. All right. Uh, when Ted goes home, uh, his wife starts busting his balls about working too hard and not enjoying his time at home enough. Uh, she says he's obsessed with his job. And I think, um... These are cracks we, in this relationship, we could have easily seen. I mean, talk about the award show, uh, his his longing, I guess, to be with Peggy. Um, that she's, relationship we knew was bad. Yeah, which he's way too over-defensive about. Hey, now, I had a male mm-hmm. there with me all the whole time. Oh, yeah, the dinner? Yeah. Yeah, he... Uh, yeah, the He's whole the whole totally sun, really defensive about that. The whole sun kissed experience, you know, it's like you had that mm-hmm. young, attractive copywriter in your airplane, and hey, 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 I had a chaperone the whole time. <laughs> yeah, uh, who also happens to be in love with her, but we won't mention <laughs> that. Is he? No, no. So I, the the scene where they connect there, I thought was really genuine, and and I thought Pete seemed charming, and they had this genuine whoa, whoa, friendship. Whoa, what? Yeah, yeah. So I tweeted that. I was like, man, I. Can't believe I'm saying this, but Pete was genuinely charming in that scene. I was totally drunk. Did I say anything back to you? Because I feel like that would have been hard for me to take. (laughs) You must not have seen it. I'd have punched you if we'd have been in the same room. But it's true, though. It's totally true. I mean, once they got over the awkwardness of him, uh, of the Ted thing, he was genuine, and they had a shared interest, a shared history together, and an amusing anecdote to, to build around, but... Him wallowing in self-pity, I didn't find particularly charming. No, after that. The self-pity came first, and then he said, oh, you know me. She was like, yeah, I do. And then they started joking and laughing, and they were having a good time together. All right. I still don't see the charm, but (laughs) I'll take your word for it. Well, when Ted gets back, he says some funny stuff, man. Gets Peggy laughing at least. I don't know. All right, moving on. Did you just touch my leg with your knee? (laughs) Uh, Don feels oh, sorry. Dawn is filling Don in on his schedule, and Pete walks by, and Don calls him into his office to ask if he knows anybody who can get Mitchell out of service. Uh, Pete suggests that he asks the guys from GM. Terrible, terrible suggestion, Pete. You know the other thing is this: they they're doing a very good job of showing how little Don is engaged at work. Oh, like he yeah. has no idea when partner meetings are going down. Yeah, he never reads memos. He he doesn't even know about client meetings. No. He's like, oblivious. Yeah. Which is weird coming off last episode where he was in the plane doing all this research and Roger was trying to get him to loosen up. Hmm. That that seems a little strange to me. That is strange. So, 
Ah, oh, inconsistencies, Wiener. Anyway. Uh, so then they go out in the hall and they argue with the other partners about which juice company they should present a pitch to. Mm-hmm. Ocean Spray or Sunkissed. And they try uh, to they try to settle like, oh, who's bigger? Oh, they're the same size. Well, we yeah. spent five grand on it. What about our business trip? Uh-huh. And Cutler's like, you spent five thousand out there, and the Rogers just, I, uh, I got a lot of receipts. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't done all the math. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, not much Roger in this episode. There was not much time for him. No. Uh, hey, he, he, juggled orange, he juggled oranges and spent five grand in California on a drinking <laughs> junket. What more do you want? Yep. Uh, this really, this is just showing, uh, building up this war between Don and Ted um, so that we can later bring that to a head. Uh, so necessary scene there. After the argument, Jim talks with Teddy, who reveals that he's angry about Don. Uh, or I'm sorry, the way Don is fighting with him. Uh, I think it's funny to... that he that he uh, apparently Don is Fred and he's Ginger, and his elaborate fantasy <laughs> yeah, about their if war. You, if you're gonna make a analogy, <laughs> don't put yourself in the skirt, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> put yourself in the the man's tap. And they talk shoes. about Come how much you, and how much you want your juice. I don't want his juice. I want my juice. <laughs> oh, jeez. This was an actual conversation the two grown men had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a weird conversation. So I'm going to throw something out there. Oh, no. This war is largely in Ted's head. Like, is it really? Don is only competitive with Ted in so far as that he wants Peggy to worship him. He doesn't go home and tell Megan. He doesn't go home and regale Megan about war stories with Ted. He doesn't even think about his job when he's not in the office. And hell, he barely thinks about his job while he's in the office. You're probably right. I guess most of the arguments and disagreements they've had have been over Peggy in the background somehow. Yeah, I kind of feel like when when later on when uh, Ted storms in his office and Don kind of confesses confusion, he's not really confused. He's like, oh... (laughs) That's what's been going on. Yeah. Okay. I can buy that. Uh, I can also buy that the next scene is Sally and Julie meeting Mitchell in the lobby of the apartment building. Uh, clearly impressed by Mitchell. Uh, after dreamy. the After the introductions, Sylvia comes downstairs and they leave while Sally takes the keys upstairs to let herself into the apartment. That Jonesy. Yeah. Yeah. That guy uh, just handing out keys left and right. No yep. problem. Yep. It's going to backfire. So, a couple names here. Mark Lindsay. What do you know about Mark Lindsay? Nothing. Apparently, he was a teenage heartthrob. Okay. And him and his producer rented a house. Oh, this is going nowhere good. That Sharon Tate was murdered in. Oh, I knew it. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, more Sharon Tate stuff, huh? Uh, we've, got, we've got a lot of emails on that, too. What do you know about Ron <laughs> Kaczynski? Nothing. Less than nothing. Other than he came out of Michigan, he just ran the world's fastest high mile. A half mile, rather. Yeah, nothing. So I did research, and this was a tough get. Like, I had to do, okay. like, cobble this together from three separate sources. Um, but I found out that this took place in Echo Summit, California, which was notable for being the location of the high altitude Olympic trials held September 6th through 16th in 1968. Uh, okay. and, and the reason they're training high altitude is because the Olympics was going to happen uh, in 68 in Mexico City, which apparently, I guess, has got a fairly high altitude. It's kind of Denver-esque that way. Okay. 
Um, and that's the record that he's, so, that he's talking about. And he said just ran the world's fastest half mile. So we're within probably a week or so of September 6th through 16th. Okay. Um, so that, 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 uh, gives us a nice firm footing for where we're at last month. We were in August. This month is in September. Yeah. Um, I was in, uh, uh, engaged in some back and forth with, uh, Cynthia talking about like what, you know, or the next big cultural touchstones. And I was researching in September. Not a lot of shit happened in September in 68. Oh, so, hmm. and we kind of see this reflected that this was kind of a lull as far as world events, other than the war raging, uh, and the draft and all that, there wasn't a lot of uh, shocking things happening. Yeah, shocking things don't happen every month, you know. Not always. <laughs> world weary wisdom by Jim Stones. Yeah, yeah shocking things aren't going to happen. It's all the, the world. Time. People live. People die. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Uh, thank you for those uh, historical facts. You're welcome. Uh, Pete's <laughs> Pete's mother <laughs> and Manolo show up at the Pete Pit. Uh, Pete dismisses Manolo, and they talk about their relationship i love how manolo says yes yes dorothy <laughs> i'll be there when you wake <laughs> yeah he's uh, the only thing i can think of when i hear manolo the name manolo is scarface yes uh, manny Jim. from scarface because oh, that's yeah. his full name they don't say it often but yeah uh, oh yeah yeah you're right yeah so i thought of him i was like yeah this guy also they posted a picture on reddit of this guy in his white suit Next, have you seen the movie? Ah, uh, <laughs> oh, shit! The one with Vondersex. Um, the one where they go on the road trip, where he plays Colonel uh, Sanders, and they end up at the at the Vatican uh, Euro Trip. I think is what it's called. No, I have not. You haven't? Okay. So, um, <laughs> what is his name from Portlandia? The dude from Portlandia. Oh shit! You can't just. Uh... God damn it. Anyway, he plays <laughs> a guy who looks and dresses and sounds almost exactly like Manolo. Fred Armistead. Fred Armistead, yeah. Looks almost identical. It's hilarious side by side. Uh, anyway, that's pointless. <laughs> <laughs> so a, a good scene here. Um, almost, almost feeling bad for Pete when his mom calls him a sour little boy and a sour little man. Tells him that you've always been unlovable. That's a horrific thing for a mother to say. But from what I know of Pete, accurate. Sure. No, I'm not denying that. He's a sneering little shitbag, man. Like, even <laughs> when he's likable, I want to punch him in the face. Uh-huh. So no, I'm, I'm with you. Now, it's like a chicken or the egg. Did, it, was he a bad seed and his mother's love was just didn't take purchase in his black little heart? Or was his mother <laughs> incapable of love and that's what turned him into a sneering little monster? I like to think that babies are not inherently evil uh, or, or good when they're born. It's kind of, uh, you know, what's put inside them through their experiences, their upbringing. So I'm going to say she's not the greatest mother in the world. Mm-hmm. I don't know. She probably made him that sour little boy. Uh, anyway, moving on. At the meeting with Chevy, Don almost ruins it when he takes the the guy's temperature about getting Mitchell <laughs> out of service. Apparently he did it rectally for as well as it went over. <laughs> right. Uh, Ted notices Don's mistake and turns the conversation back to lighter fare uh, and kind of saves it. Yeah, I think everyone in the room notices mistake, and then especially like yeah, he, like there was like signposts flashing like danger ahead. You should probably back off. And he kept doubling down, doubling down. So it sounded like he was supporting draft dodging. 
<laughs> where that's not going to fly the much of old GM exec, their right. ma- major military contractor. And, yeah. He almost got it to the point. Uh, even Roger's charm couldn't save it. Roger cracked a joke. Nobody laughed. Yeah. Not that never one, happens. Right? Unless it's black and blackface is involved. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> it happened. Yeah. It fucking happened. Yeah, it did. Oh. Wow. Anyway, so we got the... Uh, the code name, I don't know if uh, people knew this, but the code name for the Vega was the XP887. The I do believe. They I just d- mentioned the XP in this. Mm-hmm. That's yep. what te- uh, Ted's joke was. But uh, yeah, that's the code name for the Vega before it came out. So definitely working on that car. Uh, Sally and Julie are writing a list of things that they like about Mitchell uh, in the middle of the night. Uh, Sally likes his ass, apparently. <laughs> uh, he does they- have a nice ass. Uh, it's really the pants, right? I mean, the pants can make an ass. Uh, you gotta have a fi- you gotta have a decent foundation to build that <laughs> the ass state upon. <laughs> All right, <laughs> this is a sixteen year old boy you're talking about. <laughs> hey man! All right, Megan busts into the room and tells him to go to bed. So apparently they have to be up early next morning. Yeah, brought the dad, played the daddy card. Yep, your dad's gonna be home soon. Don't want him to see you. He'll be the next person to open the store. Also, it's kind of interesting setting Sally up because her friend, what's her name? Julie, yeah, Julie, right? Julie, yep. Um, who I hope we don't see run off to Flop House next season or <laughs> oh, next boy. episode. Does she but, own a violin? But she's like, oh, I wish I lived here, and you know, mm-hmm. she's totally kind of into not only just how glamorous I guess the apartment is, but the fact she's got this teen th- heart throb that's just right downstairs. Yeah, think about it. Uh. Why is she such a bitch to Megan? Who? Julie. What do you mean being a bitch to Megan? I think she Sally just... asks her, why do you keep calling her Miss Draper? And she says, because she hates it. Because teenagers are annoying, man. Don't you remember <laughs> being one? I wasn't annoying. Get out of here. Uh... Uh, no, I say that because, of course, I didn't think I was annoying. Yeah, but looking back, I was, obnox- I, I was, I was an obnoxious dick on, a supple, <laughs> uh, on several occasions. Sure. Yeah. Whew. All right. Uh, Peggy finds a rat stuck in the trap in her apartment, and she calls Stan, who basically says, uh, no thanks. <laughs> I'm not coming over in the middle of the night. Not uh, even if you make it worth my while. Well, he called her bluff got, on that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he's got someone else in bed with him and tells her that What's that dead Tuesday morning? morning is great? Was that code word for I've got someone in bed with me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's a weird code. I wouldn't have picked up on that. I'd be like, what the hell? I'm, of course, I'm famously <laughs> obtuse when it comes to that. What the hell are you talking about? Yeah, uh, now she got it. Right now, away. now there's there's some debate. Uh, Dan and uh, Feinberg and Seppenwall are going on about it in their podcast, and I also read it online. Okay. When Megan, or I'm sorry, when Peggy said, you can bring her, was she putting, was she upping the ante to threesome? Or was she just basically saying, oh, you can bring her. I wouldn't mind. As if, you know, the only thing keeping Stan oh, she's there. Not, she's not suggesting a menage. I didn't think so either. I thought it was more like her just being going, switching into oblivious Peggy mode as like yeah. the only thing keeping Stan there is chivalry, not wanting to leave his girl, <laughs> uh-huh. his girl alone in bed. Like how weird would that be? Like he wakes, he wakes his girl up in the middle of the night. All right. We got to get up. We got to go. She's yeah. like, where are we going? Uh, oh, we're going to my coworker's house to help her kill a rat. Uh-huh. If you, do you know what time it is? I'll tell you what, though. If that girl's down for it, better buy her a ring. 
Uh, so I did uh, hear a little bit about this poster on Stan's wall. Yep. Which immediately stood out to me. I was like, whoa, that is a bold poster. I liked it. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. Is it Moshi? Is it Mosh? Mosh? It's Moshi. Moshi? Yeah. Moshi Diane. Uh, he's apparently an Israeli military leader of the time. Didn't have any time to research uh, let Israel, and I wouldn't have understood it even if I had. Well, it's interesting. So uh, he led Israel through the Six Day War back when don't Israel. Know what that is back when is really nope. Okay, back when Israel <laughs> was kind of an underdog and the cause celeb among uh, like leftist circles. Okay, so. You know, it's like what is so? So what can we draw? I mean, is Stan a Zionist? Is Stan an ironic Zionist? Does Stan just think right. the dude with the the old dude with the eye patch that looks badass and beat the Arabs out of uh, Israel is badass? I mean, smoking weed, he sees that poster. I gotta. He's have like, that. I gotta have that shit. Yeah. I mean, you know, who knows? I mean, I have no idea what conclusion to draw from that either. Yeah, uh, I certainly don't know, but that's I mean, who it is. Yeah. Uh, moving on, Sally isn't ready to leave the house yet uh, because she let Julie take a shower first, and Megan yells at her for Apparently, it. they both reek of pee, so yeah, <laughs> they need what was those with showers. The pee? I don't know, man. Is is uh, what is the kid's name? Eleanor is Eleanor peeing Julie? all over the floor. Eleanor, <laughs> oh the, the youngest Draper kid. Oh, Jean, <laughs> Eugene. Yeah, I knew it started with an E. Uh, is he peeing all over the floor? What's going on? I don't know, man. Is like, is that like a neg hit that Julie's putting on Sally? <laughs> like the dynamics of preteen yeah. teenage girls are beyond me, man. Sure. Like I can see you're saying that just kind of, you know, as a, a kind of a mean bitchy thing to say. Yeah. You guys, I, girls I sometimes know. do that. That was weird. Maybe that's a, a thing I'll understand when I have a, a girl of my own, mm. <laughs> but not until then. Um, Julie makes some passive aggressive small talk with Megan and, uh, she calls her agent. Uh, question. Yeah. Did Megan really call her agent? Uh, is Megan, I I didn't really think about it because I'm actually wondering if the kick in the pants, well, we got quite a bit of kick in the pants. Is is Megan having an affair? Wow. Uh, I don't know. That it's too early to call. Because well, she's one. been doing a lot of like you know doing these meetings with her agent that we don't really know about, and then yep. a couple episodes back when the uh, when uh, Sally and Bobby's long last black gra- long lost black grandmother came by, she said that you were off on your casting couch. Uh-huh. You know, sometimes the wiener does stuff that's like super on the nose in retrospect. Maybe and Megan acted really weird when she's like, "Who are you calling your agent?" And she's like. Yeah, sure. I mean, that could be okay. read as whatever, you fucking 14-year-old girl. It's out of my business. Or, or yeah, I'll just go with my agent. Sure, that's a, that's a pretty good excuse. Okay, I'll go with that. Although it also makes sense. She's late for work, so she'd call her agent to make excuses for her, I guess. Yeah, that's what I assumed she was doing. But you you might be onto something. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's taking up her uh, mentor on her offer. She's hooking up with that one lady. Mm-hmm can't remember her name though uh anyway don immediately calls up the rosens to let them know i'm pretty sure it's Ur- ursula. sorry sorry we skipped the scene here um <laughs> ursula ah uh, you got that i thought you were steamrolling me no i wasn't yeah it's totally ursula uh ted yells at don over what happened at the chevy meeting as well he should yeah ted yeah, righteous anger 
this I felt like this was a good release that the audience needed. Yeah. Uh, because Ted has been stewing over this thing. And Don may or may not have been oblivious about the whole thing. Um, either way, Ted needed to blow off some steam. So uh, he yells at Don, and then he finds out about Mitchell's situation, and he offers to help uh, by talking to uh, the guy who taught him to fly, who's now Brigadier General uh, in some military the Air branch. National Guard. Air National Guard, okay. Uh, but it's conditional. Don has to call off the war between them. Uh, he has to stop the war, which uh-huh. Don says, I can't stop the war. <laughs> like, Don't be an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so mm-hmm. I really like Ted here. Number one, he's leveling, which mm-hmm. is cool. Uh, number two, it's like, you know, it's not your kid. Oh, is it your kid? Like, he instantly is about to be, like, very apologetic. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and then he and help, helps this guy out. And... You know, again, I kind of I go back and forth because obviously Don has been super competitive with this man. Yeah, I just don't know if it's over business or if it's over Peggy or because you know. But I don't. I kind of think it's kind of like the Ginsburg situation where Ginsburg was consumed with this guy, and Don's like, I don't even think about you. <laughs> yeah, probably. which wasn't true exactly, but it was definitely more true than. Ginsburg, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, that's yeah. closer to the truth than him being obsessed with Ginsburg. There, there was not a perfect balance there. And when Don said you'd really do that, what is the game here? What I, I'm not sure. I know exactly what Don's thinking in this scene. Is he thinking I'm going to carve you like a Thanksgiving turkey? You're so fucking weak <laughs> to be doing this. I didn't get that at all. I just thought maybe Don didn't consider them good enough friends. For him to even care? Oh, when he said you'd really do that, he's talking about pulling strings with the Air National yeah, Guard. Yeah, yeah. Okay, What okay. do you think he was talking about? I don't know. That's why I had the okay. question. Ask Jim, what did he mean about <laughs> you'd really do that? Yeah, that's what I got. Okay. I thought he was talking about calling off the war. Oh, no, no, no. That puts it in a whole other light. Yeah, I think it I think it makes sense that way. Um. But yeah, a great scene here. Like I said, this release both for Ted and the audience needed to happen, uh, and it it felt good. Mm-hmm. It felt good for Ted to finally get off of his chest what's been bothering him. Uh, a lot of that apparently this episode, but mm-hmm. we'll get to that soon enough. Uh, Don immediately calls up the Rosens to let them know about the arrangement that he's made with Teddy. Oh, uh, God. Immediately calls them. Immediate Don. This is, might be a mistake. And this is all intentional, man. This whole conversation, I was like, you know how I said when they were taking the elevator ride down? Uh Uh-huh. And I'm like, don't you fucking do it. Yeah. I was doing that whole thing, only like, no, no, God, oh, no, don't pick, oh, God. You know, it it was painful, because I'm like, really? We're going to go to this well again? Yeah. And it was totally worth it. So, okay, there's a good question. Tom Lorenzo, I read their review this week, uh... And they Hello? have notoriously not been on board with uh, Sylvia, okay. Like their relation, her and Don's relationship at all, pretty much. Right on. Um, they don't feel like she's a strong enough female figure to captivate him in the way that this show has has portrayed it. Um, is that why you didn't want to see more of Sylvia? Because you didn't think that this plot thread was strong enough, uh, uh, and, that, and that Don really had this much invested in her. Are you just bored of Sylvia? Well, I mean, why? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I, the just a plain old adultery angle is not anything new or novel. I don't understand okay. why 
uh, Don has this need to get with her other than she was the one that was kind of kind of tired of him. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, I, that's really what it's about, right? This is a reversal. Yes. On him. Yes. This and, is. And I think I, I said that much when they had the big breakup episode, yeah. um, that the only reason this got to him is because he wasn't the one doing the breaking up. Right. Uh, but I, I mean, I guess, I don't know. He has some genuine feelings for her, but he always does in the beginning. Well, they, all they had was the beginning of a relationship. Yeah. So that and he wasn't done with it and her yeah. leaving him. That's like, that's something that, you know, he doesn't, doesn't happen to him. Yeah. So I, I was also a little worried when they went back to this because frankly, I was a little tired of just Sylvia and Don as a, a relationship. Yep. Um, but it paid off pretty well. Uh, and we will get to that soon enough. We're horrible people. The fact that we, <laughs> well, this turned out way better than we expected. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel that's, ghoulish. That's what you want out of your dramas, right? I get it. Some drama. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Pete tells Bob about the situation with Manolo and his mother. Uh, he's furious. And Bob tries to calm him down with whiskey and love. Mm. But Pete rejects his advances. All right. Okay, here we go. What the hell happened here? <laughs> well, Bob Benson, clearly not gay, is what you're saying? No, no, let's, let's play a possibility. Bob Benson, okay. gay, wildly in love with Pete. Bob Benson, gay as the wind, wildly in love with Pete. Yes, uh, that's where I'm sitting. Okay, how do, we, how do we reconcile that with the fact that Bob Benson seems to be throwing his oats wherever they'll take uh, you know, hold, purchase? Okay. Like he was, he tries to suck up to Don. He tries yep. to suck up to suck up to Roger. He tries to suck up to Jim. He tries to suck up to uh, Joan. Yeah. Uh, he tries to. Uh, Pete seems to be the one the most re- uh, receptive, but he's also the biggest user of the group. So yeah. Um, do we buy that? So Bob Benson, gay or not? Let's put that aside. Bob okay. Benson in love with Pete. Is that genuine? Uh, so I watched Inside Mad Men, uh, where Matt Wiener talked about this scene specifically and the nature of Bob Benson and Pete's relationship. First of all, uh, everything that comes out of man's mouth is a lie. Yeah. But continue. So I didn't view it the same as Matt Wiener did, uh, but only because of the knee touch. So if it had not been the knee touch, if there had been a little bit less, uh, love involved in that conversation then maybe I would buy Matt Wiener's interpretation, which is that Bob has an infatuation with Pete and wants to be Pete and does genuinely care for him, but maybe not in a physical, sexual way. Not in the way that Manolo apparently cares for Pete's mother. <laughs> All right. I got another theory to throw at you. That is not a theory. That is out of the creator's mouth. Yeah, but he's himself. a fucking liar. Um, I got another th- <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, I, two seasons ago, I was totally enraptured. But with, does he lie after the fact? He lies. He lies He will before, do anything certainly. to preserve the integrity of his story and being told on his terms. Oh, so you're saying. I, I, I heard. I just like I said, <laughs> he I told the story unaffectively, ineffectively, and people are calling him on it and now he's got to make up a, a I'm seeing I've seen multiple, Bob Benson is that what you're saying I've seen multiple actors and actresses and Matt Weiner himself come out days after or even before or all throughout the season with interpretations that are direct opposite of what I've seen with my own damn eyes and heard with my own damn ears 
So, okay. and I've I've seen him epically mindfuck Carrie Gross on several in NPR in, uh, interviews, <laughs> which turns out, I mean, if you want comedy, just go back and listen to his last year's interview with Harry Gross. Okay. Okay. With everything you know about the season, what actually happened? I, he's a bullshit artist, and he's a spoiler phobe, and God love him. So, all right. Back to my point. Yeah. Bob Benson's not gay. Bob Benson <laughs> is an opportunist. Uh, but what is the opportunity? Wait a second. He is, okay. He he misinterprets Pete's anger at Manolo with jealousy. Wait, what? He does he misinterpret where he calls Manolo a degenerate when Bob Benson effectively says he's gay? I'm just saying that is that is that a particular if you're a deeply closeted man uh-huh. in New York would you perhaps be extra, you know, kind of like butch it up the the hide the fact? Because, you know, why else is he that pissed off about the Manolo situation? And why is he taking it so seriously? Again, it's 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 something that Pete should be laughing off, or like whatever, mother. You know, I I, I still don't fathom why he thinks that Manolo is raping his mother. <laughs> okay, I. But how? What does this have to do with Bob Benson? Well, because he's saying, oh, well, maybe Pete's gay. I'll take a pass at him, and if if it works, then I'll be in the driver's seat. Okay, so I don't are you trying that... to prove the – are you trying to prove a point here that Bob Benson is not gay? No, I'm saying okay. that Bob Benson gay is like a subtone. I don't know, think it a is. Subtext I think it's a very overt text. I okay, think it's well, it the is main now. primary text. It in is this now. Scene. It is now. Okay. But, you know, if I, I don't know, I just if Roger hadn't shown up, which clued Bob into the fact that there was something there between him and Joan and that might endanger his career at the f- firm, would he be getting down with Joan? I don't think so, man. I think, I think he's gay. Can, okay. I think what, he is. I certainly that doesn't preclude him being an opportunist. I certainly think he was trying to weasel his way into the good graces of Joan, into the good graces of Don, uh, and Roger and everybody. All right. Now let me ask you something else about this. Yeah. Did Pete? Is it? Am I crazy? Or did Pete briefly consider this offer? You know, I think he might have. And I don't think he's done considering it. No. Frankly. No, I think that I think him throwing the cereal box. It wasn't at just the because, end. It's not just because he's got because he's pouring fucking raisin bran in the middle of the night. Yeah, it's not it's, because this isn't pan fried ribeye. <laughs> yes, it's like what have I become? Yeah, it's like he can't find love anywhere, and where he does find love, he's turning it down. Yeah, well, like he found love with a crazy housewife. Who erased her brain to get away from him? He found love with another <laughs> crazy housewife who went way, you know, went all in on the Pete ship to where you know she oh, gets her she ass beat, kicked yeah. and comes next door and fucks up his backyard. Yep. Now a gay man is in love with him. I he know, goes I, to prostitutes to find it, and he gets found out. And, and this is ruined. this is exactly what Pete wants to hear. Mm-hmm. Like he wants to be the king. He wants to be the center of someone's world. He wants to. He doesn't want to be an accessory. Yeah. Like he was with Trudy, he wants this, and he's even if he's not gay or even has any, you know, I don't know, like he's is maybe he's a two on the Kinsey scale or whatever. Um, maybe, but but he's vain enough and this giant empty hole of need enough that yeah. I feel like, and hats off to Vincent, there was at least a second mm-hmm. of consideration here. 
of what if this would happen. Yeah. No, for sure. Uh, I think that was definitely there. And like I said, I don't think it's over yet. Mm, interesting. Um, I don't think Bob Benson will bring it up again because I felt that not only was he firing Manolo at that point, but he was also threatening Bob. Uh, that if you try this again, I'll give you one month's pay and you're out the door. Well, that's the other thing is I thought, yeah, so many different angles you can consider because the only thing that I have a problem with is I don't see Bob being in love with Pete. It's really hard to see anybody being in love with Pete. I mean, even like, again, the wiener, sometimes he throws this right on the nose in retrospect, but his mom saying you are unlovable. Yeah. So like, I also like wonder... Peggy understands him, but she uh, was never in love with Pete. Yeah, no, I, I'm totally with you there. Um, I wonder if Bob doesn't have some sort of uh, fetish almost for people who... Or seating need, hairlines. No. <laughs> and knee-high so black socks. People who need to be loved or are kind of broken or, like, just need something from him. You know, like, Joan needed some care taken with her Did Tom child. Did Tom and Lorenzo have any insight on this? Uh, they just basically danced around and said, hey, we called it. <laughs> but, yeah, they did. I mean, they certainly believe that Bob Benson is gay. There's no question there. Um, and the knee touch, that's, yeah, the that's one. something that doesn't happen if Bob Benson is not gay. Like, right? I can't remember who was on Facebook, but God, I love our, op our threads, but someone's like, what does uh, Bob Benson have a wide stance? <laughs> You're referring to that. <laughs> His jean shorts. Well, yeah. no, no, the, the Senator in the bathroom was picking up gay men in the bathroom. Oh. And I guess he was doing, there's like a, some kind of elaborate foot signal tap. deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was trying to say, no, I just have a wide bathroom stance. <laughs> Why they were talking about it? it's always sunny in Philadelphia with the wide never mind. That's probably they were probably referring to that. <laughs> it might have been. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh Tom and Lorenzo had a somewhat nuanced approach, but they were definitely on the the side of him being gay. All right. Uh which is where I fall as well. I totally think he is. We spent a goodly amount of time discussing Bob's sexuality and I scene. think it warrants it. I mean, no, how no, much time totally. did we spend in previous episodes discussing whether or not it was true? No, totally. I mean, you definitely called it, right? Uh, I I can't come up with initial credit for the theory, but I was an early adopter, mm. sure. Sure. We had some listeners talk about it, too. So uh, There it is. I mean, also, this is a scene where uh, Pete calls Manolo a rapist, which, you know, there's there's that uh, reflection of himself there. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I think we can move on. Uh, Sally and Julie are talking about Mitchell in the cab ride. Uh, Julie reveals that she signed Sally's name on the things I like about Mitchell letter, which included <laughs> his ass and slid it under the back door of the Rose's apartment. So, uh, that was interesting. Th so we should talk a little bit about the name game, I guess. Um, okay. favors, obviously Manolo was a favor from Bob Benson. All right. Um, that has not turned out so well. Mm-hmm. Julie did Sally a quote-unquote favor by slipping this letter under that door. That did not turn out so well. That's true. Um, there were other favors done. What, Ted, what did favors favor Don. Ted, yeah, Ted, Ted did a favor, did a favor for Don. Don did a favor for Sylvia. I'm wondering if Don's uh, Ted's favor doesn't turn out not so well either. Like if Don ruined that by calling so quickly. I mean, or, he didn't wait for confirmation. Or what if... Uh... What's his, uh, you know, hot pants? What if he uh, dies in the plane crash? There's that, too. Well, I mean, Ted's 
favor already did backfire, right? That's what led to the call. That's what led to them getting back together. That's and what led to Sally Sally's finding them out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of already backfired. None of these favors are really working out very well. Uh, Peggy asked Ted, or uh, Stan, to do her favor. Yeah, he's only safe because he didn't. Good for you, Stan. <laughs> Good for you. That rat would have just savagely torn into him, <laughs> giving him rabies. Peggy might have savagely torn into him <laughs> what she was offering. Who knows? Uh, anyway. Do you think the paramedics gave her back the trident? Oh, God. Or I the unit unidant? She should use that on the rat. Yeah, right? Yeah. She she is good with makeshift weapons. I agree. Why isn't she dealing with this rat? She's Arnold Schwarzenegger and Predator. <laughs> with this. And she resorts to a cat. That's that's a cop yeah, out. Yeah. That's a fucking At cop out. At least smear your cat in mud. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Sally runs back into the building to get the keys from the Rosen's apartment so she can go to the go get the letter back. Uh instead, she discovers Don and Sylvia in the midst of uh Coitus, doing her upright. She runs out the door, and Don chases after her. Sylvia is devastated. Mm. Uh, also, Don, Don, devastated. He runs out. Uh, he runs through his apartment first, which is risky. I mean, Megan could have been in there. And then how sure. do you explain that? Uh, and then he runs into the lobby, and after a moment of hesitation, he walks out the front door. First time that I can remember, I've seen Don with not a clue. Yep, what to do exactly what i thought like his brain literally blue screened and, and you see it like, in the elevator on the way down he's like what not like that but he like starts to walk out the door and he happened. turns around and he started like uh-huh. you know i think jonesy's like what the fuck is this guy having a grand mal seizure what's going on <laughs> he's truly concerned for the man yeah um and the i mean i thought he was gonna walk out into traffic i really did john ham basically fucks around with this jerky performance in a hotel lobby for 45 seconds and is riveting. Yeah. Yeah. At, from the scene with Pete and Bob on, this episode was amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, the rest of it was strong. Don't the get me stakes wrong, and, like, what we know how Sally views her dad. And, and these reactions all felt so genuine. I right. mean, even Sylvia pounding on the bed. It seems overly dr- dramatic, dramatized. But but it's not. I can see people reacting like that. When, you know? when, and also, it's just like this completely recontextualizes everything Sally knows about her dad. Oh, yeah. And and they've done a good job of showing little hints of that this season. Like, you mm-hmm. know. Um, Even this episode when she tells Betty that he's a better father. He's a better parent. Yeah, but like, you know, when her when her grandma came to rob him that one night and she's like, your daddy's good looking. And, and she's had this such a <laughs> beautiful smile. Yeah, but she does have this hero worship of her dad. Her dad's absent, mm-hmm. um, but she thinks her mom drove him out, and her mom's such a bitch. And you know, her dad's always supportive. And yeah, it's not true, but like we're seeing a little girl completely be disillusioned about the one parent that she thought, you know, was in her corner and doing the right thing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And if you think about how young Don's experience, or I guess Dick Whitman's experiences affected him what does that say about this future that sally's gonna well have? and it's like it's, i feel like Mad Men is a series of kind of like uh like johnny depp said in pirates of the caribbean like you know you have these moments where you can be the bigger person mm-hmm. and he loves like waving goodbye to those moments as they pass by <laughs> like he's got these moments where he could be real mm-hmm. and stop living these lies and god i wish he had done that in the last scene 
and he never does. Like he, like he could have manned up and said something to Sally. Like, yeah, I, you know, this is. I know you don't like to see it, but and and you know, I don't, you know, I don't know what the hell you'd say. He needed to say something, but other you than don't it didn't double happen. down on the fucking lie and She's tell your fourteen-year-old girl what she saw with her own eyes wasn't what she really saw. And they made a point of how smart this girl is. I mean, she was reciting capitals for God's sake of places in the cab with her friend who thought she was a total dork for doing it because the right. boys are going to think she's dumb, right? That's this is you, a girl who yeah. does not believe what Teenage her dad boys just told her. Prize girl's intellect. <laughs> well, Julie, Julie knows that. Julie's <laughs> not concerned with that. But having that scene and then having her dad talk to her like she's a freaking idiot uh, at the very end was uh, heartbreaking in a lot of ways. Um, and this, there's so many really great layers to that too. Like Jonesy dressing down his fellow bellhop or whatever you call doorman because he was getting undressed in the lobby and then don coming down undressed <laughs> yeah yeah um and also the fact that he's berating he's berating someone for a minor i guess besmirching of his duty and here's jonesy giving out key rings to 14 year old girls <laughs> uh-huh. which causes the big so it's like you know there's there's all these different kind of layers and and stuff to, that uh, Matt Weiner's putting in this episode. It's just masterfully done. It is. It is. Uh, so we get a little, uh, a few small shots here with uh, Pete and Peggy and Teddy. Pete's pouring uh, a child's breakfast at home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the yeah. middle of the night. Only kids eat cereal. Right. Men have bacon and eggs. Bacon and eggs. Uh, Peggy's sitting next to her cat. Sitting... Next her, to her cat in a really awkward way, like looking around the room, looking for the mouse, like this cat needs to do something. I didn't get it to have a pet. I don't know. It's like, like I said, she could have been the Arnold Schwarzenegger versus the, <laughs> the Predator's rat. And she went full Adrian Brody. She she went to, <laughs> <laughs> she subcontracted her killing out to a cat, uh, which also so, pre- presages her mom's vision yes. of her being transforming into a cat lady. Yeah, you get a cat. Eighteen years later, you get another one. Then you get then you another. get another one, and then you're done. <laughs> yep. Uh, and that it has begun. You can see that conversation on Peggy's face in this scene. I mean, she's acknowledging this cat is sitting next to her. I am now the person <laughs> that my mother told me I was going to be, and that I didn't want to be. Yeah. And right? she's got. I mean, she's had many chances to do something different as well. She has, yeah. I mean, she could have tried with Pete. She could have tried with Stan. She could have tried with Abe. She could have tried with Ted. She could have tried with Don. She could have. <laughs> we could list every guy on the show. Yeah, she could have gone with that. Uh, she she could have gone with Shoshana. Could have tried with Joan. Back in the day, Shoshana would have taken her up in a New York minute. Oh, yeah, yeah. The model friend? Uh, the newspaper about? boy or the newspaper girl. Newspaper. Yeah, girl. Shoshana from, from Girls. Uh, okay, you're not. She played another character, yes. Mad Men, who was had the hots for Peggy. Yeah, yeah, and had the model friend, and yes, came that's... in and interviewed. Okay, yeah, yeah. 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 Which is how she sure. wasn't that how she met Abe in the first place. It might have been. I believe yeah. so. If not, uh, it's been hordes of fans will correct us. <laughs> they will. Uh, so we also get a shot of Teggy Teddy coming home to play with his children, uh, and his wife is sleeping in bed. Uh, it looks like he's kind of recommitting after solving his differences, or at least he hopes solving his differences with Don. He's coming home and uh, trying to get more involved with his family. 
from what it looked like anyway. Yeah. So that that may be good for Ted. Um, maybe he's going to move on and not deal, not worry too much about Peggy. Uh, and the final shot we get in this little montage is Don at the bar having lo- loads and loads of drinks. Full on Godfather lighting too. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. That's that's classic bar lighting. Yeah. Uh, Don then returns home and finds his family plus uh, Julie eating dinner. And there are some knowing looks exchanged between him and Sally. Everyone else is oblivious, though. This is the second time he's come into his apartment this season with no fucking clue what he's in for. The police uh, after the break-in. Oh, third time. The first time is when he came home and Megan was crying with Sylvia over what you find out later is the miscarriage slash abortion. Then the police. And now this. Hmm. And it's just like, oh, God. Don needs to stop going home. <laughs> Just stay at the bar, man. He's a jump off some point. Apparently. Um, then Dr. Rosen shows up with his son, and they thank Don for helping him out. Uh, Sally is clearly disturbed by this conversation. And final straw, when Megan kisses Don, she uh, screams, you make me sick, and she runs out of the room. Don goes after her and tells her that he was only comforting Mrs. Rosen. Ugh, such well, a betrayal. In a... A disgusting display from Don here. Such a betrayal on yeah. all levels. Yeah. I really liked... So I read uh, Slate's review of this episode, and I really liked their take on this final moment here with uh, Don and Sally. They say that what Don's doing here is really giving Sally a reality that's easier to digest and kind of like allowing her to deceive herself, like giving her permission to run from this like he has done with everything in his life i thought that was a pretty cool take pretty yeah nuanced uh view of that brutal though i mean very brutal yeah i mean how devastating is that for sally i don't know where sally goes from here yeah yeah i'm super interested to see what they do with her uh not only in the last two episodes of this season but also in the final season if there's a final season have you heard the rumor that there isn't going to be one I think you talked about. I thought we talked episode, about that. We? That's okay. something that's that's somewhat a popular conspiracy theory. Yeah, I think that would be awesome. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't want the show to end yet. Anyway, so that is it for this episode. Uh, we probably need to do some pimping and then get into feedback. Uh, yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, we are part of we are part of the Bald Move Network. Since I did some extra pimping up, pimping up front, I'm trying to condense this as much as I can. Good uh, you can find all our content at baldmove.com. We do lots of television stuff, uh, but not just television. We also have the guys out of Seattle broadcasting the Personal Arrogance Show, where they talk about general geek culture, broad, broad general geek culture. Uh, we also have the gals in the Big Show. They've come roaring back. With their epic thrill ride of a podcast, as they like to call it. Uh, check them out. Um, what in the heck? What is going on with my own notes? Up yours downstairs. All right, it's, yeah, Kelly and Tom. Uh, <laughs> they're covering Mr. Selfridge right now. Uh, we all appreciate the reviews and ratings on iTunes. It's the biggest thing that drives traffic to our cast. And you guys have done really, really well. Uh, I appreciate... Uh, I know it's... Um, you know, it takes time to, re- to, to remember to do it and then open up the iTunes and to find the show and click the stars. But it's such a huge help in getting the word out. 
you can also use our Amazon affiliate link, amazon.baldmove.com. Help us keep the lights on. And please check out our Kickstarter project at kickstarter.baldmove.com. Uh, please consider backing it uh, to help us make Breaking Good a better show next year. Uh, we'd appreciate your consideration. And finally, tell a friend about the bald move, the burgeoning bald move empire. Is it burgeoning or burgeoning? I call it burgeoning. Burgeoning? Yeah. The engorged bald move empire that's growing. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Maybe not, actually. Just unsubscribe. Next to us and, it's, it's all and for the best. We'll rub knees <laughs> yeah. for a while. Just come sit next to us on iTunes. Is it so hard to imagine if two hosts <laughs> care nothing, nothing except for your own pleasure, your listening pleasure, mm-hmm. and just want to make your life beautiful and whatever the fuck else Bob Bunsen said? Isn't it, isn't it possible that you would consider backing their Kickstarter project. <laughs> oh, man. All right. That's it for the pimping, This right? is what we do for free, folks. Imagine we got paid for it. Oh, God. Watch it'd be the so fuck out. Oh, that's all Fe- I got for pimping. Oh, feedback. you want me to read feedback? Yeah, yeah, man. That's, that's oh, all you. Double duty. Double duty. Jim ran out of ice at the bald... What are you yeah. calling this? Tower? Flat? Uh, let's... I don't know. The ball pit. I've been drinking straight scotch for the last hour and it's I can I can hear the slurring starting already. Love it. All right. Uh Sherry P says Peggy seems so sure Ted will give Joan the chance with Avon. Oh, this is last this last is for week. last yep. week, Tale of Two Cities. But when they tell him he calls for Pete so fast it made my head spin. Joan is crushed when she left at the bottom of the stairs, symbolic of watching others climb the ladder of success. Mm, yeah, Pete. The glass goes up. ladder. The glass staircase. As Peggy goes up the stairs, she looks back as if to say, I'm sorry, this is not what I thought would happen. Little does she know it's one of those trick staircases where they pull a lever and it all turns flat. <laughs> Flattens. And you slide down it. Uh, I think I saw somewhere. Pete tried to do that one time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Rogers fucks with him. He just flips the switch, like just bumps it. Uh, I think I saw where someone had suggested the Tale of Two Cities has a water theme. Joan had to take the plunge. She knows she can swim. But she's going to have to take a risk and jump off the deep end. Otherwise, she'll never have the chance to prove herself in a man's world. Fortunately, she comes equipped with flotation devices. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> had uh, to go there. Uh, anyway, I had to cover for the fact that my cursor jumped to the top of your notes again. Oh, okay. I thought Don's body position in the pool looked like he let himself free fall, similar to the body dropping from the top of the building and opening. Roger literally jumped in to save him. Wonder if Roger will be the one to save him from himself back in the real world. I, I think it's too late for that. And Roger's not <laughs> the guy. Roger might talk you off a uh, roof. Roger might save you from a swimming pool. Roger's not the guy to talk you out of debauching yourself to death. <laughs> yeah. Uh, perhaps this is a parallel to what is happening back in New York at the meeting with Avon. And again, in the conference room, Joan is struggling, almost gasping for air. Peggy, this time figuratively jumps in to save her. Nice. Nice parallel. When Avon guy says they've been conservative and hippies don't wear makeup, I thought about all the mod styles at the time. Didn't Peggy's secretary have on some pretty wild eyeshadow and lipstick? And Megan, she's practically David Bowie in some of these episodes. <laughs> God. Um, I'm going to Google Avon catalogs from 68 to 69 to see what they were doing. I would be curious to see if, did you find that they were uh, unconsciously old-fashioned, unintentionally old-fashioned? Yeah. A thought from last week's The Better Half that could be a visual cue at the 
camp cafe. Betty and Henry are seated beside a big window with a beautiful sunny view, suggesting a bright future. After Don speaks to them, he goes to a little table in the back. There's only a small window kind of up high. He looks so sad and dark in comparison. Mm-hmm. I like it. Kelly M. At the first partners meeting in Tale of Two Cities, when they discussed the new name of the firm, the conversation was initiated by Cutler when he received a piece of mail addressed to Sterling, Gleason, and Price. Gleason and Price are dead. Is this a hint that Roger's going to die as well? Mm, could be. For something like four seasons running, Kelly. <laughs> Uh, we shall see if this is the season. The first time I remember it is when he and Gins, like Ginsburg came in for his interview, uh, and he was looking out the window and Roger mentioned something about jumping out of it. Mm. I don't know. That's the first reference I remember of Roger and death. Oh, I thought it was like when you started having heart attacks, a lot of well, people started talking about okay. it. I mean, come on. Massive heart attack. Yeah. And his smoking and heavily, heavy drinking and now <laughs> drug use. Okay. Uh, Eric W., I work for an advertising aging agency in Oklahoma City called Staple Gun. Hmm. Uh, uh, shit, I'll give you a plug. StapleGun.us. And a lot of my time is spent managing our new business efforts. When Pete is told he's in charge of new business, he says, Since when? I don't want that. I laughed out loud, and my wife said, That's exactly how it happens. Oh, and told no, my wife that's exactly how it happens. Yep. New business is actually an enjoyable thing, and I think Matt Weiner is, using, is using this as a small connection to Pete's life and lifestyle, and in some ways it shows a change in tone from what Pete thought he wanted and what's missing in his life. Managing new business is very much like how Pete manages his life, a constant flow of first dates with no emotional investment, an ongoing relationship or its success. You get a lead, you take them out for dinner and drinks, you get to know them a little, ask questions, feign interest, take them back to your place, and seal the deal. Oh, Pete's good at that. Whew. Get a little hot and bothered. Whether they like it or not. The next morning, it's someone else's job to clean up and do the work while you're back out to get the next one. Pete thought new business was the kind of lifestyle he wanted. He tried to live it in the last several seasons, but he's beginning to show the wear and tear of the lifestyle. He doesn't have any lasting, meaningful relationships to speak of because he's always been chasing the next thing. He's lonely, isolated, questioning his worth and value, and putting him in charge of new business is a reflection of how the agency sees him. How do you think Raisin Brand felt about that scene? <laughs> of the General most loathsome character in the most <laughs> depressing location, disgusted that they're eat, having to eat the product. <laughs> Oh, I bet they paid big bucks for that. Right? Product placement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, raisin Bran. Two scoops of sunshine and every bowl full that degenerate losers eat. <laughs> Two scoops of depression. <laughs> uh, of shriveled up dead grapes. Uh, Larry E. says, love your podcast almost as much as I love the shows you cover. How about starting a string about each of us, how each of us like to end Mad Men? Whew, blasphemy. Trying to outguess the wiener. Right. He's going to come to your house and re-educate you. I like this one, though. This one's good. My ending would be that someone either jumps or is pushed from the top of a building. Everyone thinks it's Don. They have a funeral. Sniff, sniff. Last moment in the series, Dick Whitman slash Don Draper is living in California having a drink at a bar. A woman approaches him and asks him his name. His answer, I'm Bob Benson. Cut the black. <laughs> he pushes poor Bob Benson right off the roof. <sighs> It's rough justice. It's low even for you, Don. Yep. Uh, what do you think about that? Is that the... About what? I feel like... Of course, here I'm about to quote Matthew Weiner in an interview when I've just yep. said that he's yep. a liar. He's the prince of darkness. <laughs> Never mind. Jason <laughs> from the Nattercast. 
How is the wiener going to end Mad Men? I have a million to one long shot prediction that would absolutely be awesome if the wiener does it. Okay, here we go. Don Draper is D.B. Cooper. On Thanksgiving Eve in 1971, a man identifying himself as Don Dan Cooper boarded a flight. Oh, right. Yeah. Boarded a flight on Northwest Orient Airlines traveling from Portland to Seattle. Once airborne, Cooper passed a note to a stewardess telling him he had a bomb. He demanded $200,000 and four parachutes. The FBI complied, and Cooper had a pilot land at Tacoma to pick up his cash and shoots. Once on the ground, he released the passengers, ordered the plane refueled, and then had the pilots take off and head to Mexico. Somewhere along the line, he jumped out. Out of the tail uh, exit of a 727, if I recall... The mystery of D.B. Cooper was never solved. Most assume he died in the fall, but his body and the money were never recovered. D.B. Cooper, by the way, is namesake, namesake of Agent Don Bartholomew Cooper on Twin Peaks. My theory is that the usual combination of ennui, federal heat, unhappy marriage, and perhaps other tragedies will send Don into another Dick Whitman slash Don Draper reboot. We know that Don is all about reinventing himself and not looking back when things get tough. Similarities between Don Draper and D.B. Cooper include... D.B. Cooper was described by witnesses as being straight-laced businessman type in his mid-40s, Caucasian with short crew cut, 5 foot 10 inches to 6 feet in height. The name, name Dan Cooper is a combination of Don Draper and Burt Cooper. Witnesses said that once on board, Cooper lit a cigarette and ordered a bourbon and soda. Admittedly, not exactly a unique thing to do in the early 70s, but definitely a Don Draper's signature move. If only he'd ordered an old-fashioned. <laughs> Don or someone is famously depicted as the falling man in the opening credits, but he's not shown falling to his death. He's shown falling to safety like a man with a parachute. The disappearance of D.B. Cooper is one of the great enduring mysteries of the 70s. If Don Draper is D.B. Cooper, then the wiener can pull off an ambiguous Soprano-style ending while still maintaining the link between the show and real history. Just a thought, probably too insane to consider, but there it is. I've considered it. It is insane. It is insane. <laughs> I wonder if there's a classy way that that Matthew Weiner can suggest that that's what he's going to do before Mad Men ends. Because I like this a lot, and not but I have no interest in spending an episode watching him do this heist. That would just be farce. Sure. But it'd be cool if he, you know... It would be cool if the last thing we see Don is him boarding a plane and the boarding passes said D.B. Cooper or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's yeah, maybe know. that's too on the nose. Maybe I, – I don't know. I, I, I like that. I think it that. is for Mad Men. It, certainly they wouldn't do a heist. They don't do no. things like that. No. Um, the closest thing they come to a heist is stealing the company out from underneath the Brits. Yeah. Yeah. I I I definitely don't see that happening, but it's interesting to consider. Uh, Elise K is going to school us on some Dickens. All right. I usually wait and see your podcast before emailing, so I don't state the obvious, but the title is so telling when you do a little wiki search. Dickens' novel is about the French Revolution, the two cities being London and Paris. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Given the riots in Chicago, that could be one of the two cities. Obviously, revolution denotes revolt of some kind. Clearly, the youth are revolting against the war. And there's certainly a sense of revolt or dis- divisiveness from Cutler against Sterling. Cooper et al. Et al. Petty claims. Oh, geez. Petty. That's what we call Pete <laughs> if, if, and if Peggy. If they were a celebrity couple. Yeah, it's Petty. Yep. Pete claims that Peggy and Joan were planning a revolt. And, of course, Pete is revolting. <laughs> He's been running around so dramatically all season. I didn't get that until you said it like that. Pete is revolting. He of is course. certainly revolting, yes. 
But this time it's like the boy who cried wolf. Things really are dire, as he puts it. Man, she's putting all kinds of puns in there. The, he's a dire wolf. Dire wolf boy. After those... Uh, the boy that cried dire after wolf. After he threw his two scoops, he's also hungry like the wolf. <laughs> <laughs> so he finally succumbs to the anarchy and just sits down and smokes a doobie. Yep. Watching previous seasons intermittently with the current ones is very telling. When ta- Ted was trying to convince Peggy to join CGC, he states that Cutler is about to retire. Was he lying to sway her his way, or does Teddy just wish Cutler would retire? Ooh. Or is Cutler being forced to retire, and he wants to go out of the bang? I disagree with your comment that Cutler is a driven type A personality. I think he's just a lazy shit who didn't like being disrespected. <laughs> so he's, he is Roger. Yeah, pretty much. Remember, it's his idea to get the staff all hopped up on uppers to be productive and creative. I truly believe a driven person puts out the effort without the influence of drugs, hence Ginsburg. Ginsburg's a mess. He's always been neurotic. He's conflicted between his passion and talent for copywriting and a generation of revolution. He doesn't fit in anywhere, and he did not fit in this episode. Revolution. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't fit in anywhere. Maybe there's some mental illness there. I heard Asperger's theory, and he could fit that mold. Socially awkward, no filter inhibitions. Sitting on the floor rocking, Peggy's always asking him, what's wrong with you? Since he really doesn't know from a psychiatric standpoint, he just creates this myth of him being an alien because he feels estranged from others in so many ways. That's my input for this week. Love the Roger, Roger lines. Don's story is pretty straightforward, so just wondering what's next. Avon calling? Uh, also, water plays a role in symbolism in the Tale of Two Cities. Water represents the angry mob. Also, resurrection is a theme paralleling... paralleling Don's rebirth through death theme. There is also reference to a dream sequence. Even Time Magazine points out the Weiner's use of literary reference in each season. Of yeah, I, I don't think it takes Time Magazine to point that out. I think it's fairly obvious. We try to point it out. Uh, we try to but, do our point. Our uh, that part. said, yeah, I almost never have read any of the uh, literature that they <laughs> that he actually uses for the basis of his story. So it's always nice to hear takes like this, for sure. Tom says, holy shit, Bob Benson is gay for Pete. This is fucking crazy in all caps. But seriously, Pete's face is priceless for that 30 seconds of complete awkwardness. <laughs> oh, my God. In complete caps. Just watch the end. Don is a miserable human being ruining his kids. The show is unbelievable. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. So in light of this episode's events, do we still firmly believe that Don is the better parent? Uh, no. I. Uh, Betty's a pretty terrible mom, but Don's a pretty terrible dad. It's kind of like presidential elections. You get the choice between a douchebag and a shit sandwich. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, hmm. Hmm. Edwin C. Where did you go, Edwin? Here you are. Hey, guys, I waited to email you to see if you would say anything of the Megan Draper Sharon Tate connection, foreshadowing that Megan will die this season, but surprised that you blew it off. Here are a few things that foreshadowed what this will come, uh, what will come this season. One, of course, we have the shirt, which can be nothing, but this shirt was worn by Tate during the filming of the movie Rosemary's Baby. I don't know that that's true. Uh oh. Um, I thought I read something that was something that she was filmed, or she she had some just kind of candid photo or a, fo- a, f- a photo shoot, but it wasn't part of Rosemary's Baby. Hmm. But I don't know. I'm getting all this third and fourth hand. The book Sally's reading, who uh, Tate's husband also directed. That okay. is true. Yep. Megan's look has been based on a Californian look where Tate lived and has was murdered. The Mad Men poster, which always heavily represents the season with Don holding the hand of a woman looking at a more disturbed Don walking towards this crime scene, doesn't bode well for Megan's chances. 
<laughs> and almost every scene with Megan, sirens are heard in the background louder than in the other scene. Yep. Peggy stabbed Abe accidentally just as Tate was killed due to mistaken identity. Yeah, so apparently the Mansons showed up to kill the hot pants guy and the producer. <laughs> the hot pants guy. <laughs> yeah, I don't I can't remember his name. All right, sure. And I'm not going I'm not going to flip back to my notes and then flip up three pages and find out. Hell no. <laughs> All right. The Drapers so hot pants. The hot pants yeah. dude, mistaken identity of the hot pants. I tried No, I can't make that joke. The Drapers home was recently robbed. The Weiner Weiner has firmly denied this which as you know, you can't believe that son of a bitch. I do know that. <laughs> 7 is a strong strong yep. point in your favor, Edwin. Also wanted to add that Tate's husband was known for cheating on his wife and that he was preg she was pregnant. Are we talking about uh uh who's the guy that directed Rosemary's baby? I don't know his name. He's the dude that like raped the fourteen year old girl, isn't he? Oh jeez. No, I don't know anything about him. Um, I hope I'm not besmirching the name <laughs> of uh, the wrong dude. Yeah, he's that gen- genocidal maniac who killed all those people in uh, Nicaragua. I'm just, apparently that's my thing. I accuse people of molesting <laughs> children. Pete. Now this guy that I can't remember his name, Roland something rather. Right? Wow. Emmerich? Roland Emmerich. Yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> that genocidal baby molester. Uh, Absolutely. Did did he or did he not make Godzilla? <laughs> okay. Fair He's enough. got it coming to him. Yep. Uh, just wanted to add that Tate's husband is known for cheating on his wife and he was, she was pregnant when she was murdered, which we know Megan was pregnant earlier in the season. And I believe she said she was in a hallucination at dawn at the party. Yeah, she did. Let me know what you guys think. Well, point nine, uh, would be the hot pants guy reference in this episode. So like I said, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence. Yeah, totally. I almost think there's too much circumstantial evidence. I just don't think that they go that literal. I think they make allusions to stuff uh, for the sake of it. And, and they're going then, to kill off two major cast members in as many seasons? That doesn't feel mad many either. Yeah. So I like it, Edwin, and it's meticulously researched and factually correct. And there are plenty of people who agree with you. Certainly. I've seen them on the internet. I'm just saying that, like, of the big bombshell deliveries in Mad Men, I can think of, like, last season – one person took a wild ass guess that Lane Price was going to die. Yep, but it was it was not based on any evidence. It was just a death motif and all that. It's like we usually never see these big things coming. Yeah, so yeah. we'll see. Okay. Ellen says, "I literally gasped out loud when Bob Bunce hmm, when Bob Bunsen bumped Pete's knee with his knee. I was knitting at the time and borderline impaled myself with the needle. Watch out there, <laughs> if you you know, but uh." I was going to make an orange joke, juggling oranges and knitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But sure. I, I couldn't, I could, I couldn't quite bring it together. All couldn't right. stick the landing. <laughs> I found it strange that Bob would take the risk when Pete suggests that mom, his mom's nurse, may have been interfering with Bob. With her, Bob implies that the nurse is gay. To which Pete responds with a comment about delinquency or degeneracy. Dege- yeah, degeneracy. Bob is visibly uncomfortable with this and seems unaware of the derogatory nature of Pete's comment. You'd think that as a closet homosexual at a time where it's very conservative regarding equality, a man who hears another man say that gay men are uh, degenerate would sense a major, Pete does not want to fuck you, Bob, red flag. (laughs) Do you think this is bad judgment or maybe Bob's loneliness overriding his instincts? I think... We said enough about that is what I think. Yeah, yeah. So I I can't remember if this was Tom and Lorenzo or someone else, but... 
I think that Bob Benson thought through sheer willpower and his glowing personality, he could change. He could turn Pete gay in that moment. Surely not. There, there are a, <laughs> what was going through Bob's mind is there are a series of words that I can string together that will turn this man gay. And he just went for it. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Uh, Moving on the Ellen train. Okay. Secondly, I noticed, I don't think anyone didn't notice, was that after Sally walks in on Don's comforting Mrs. Rosen, in quotes, his shoes squeak really loudly. You can hear them as he follows Sally when he gets back home and yeah. when they walk away from their bedroom door after their father-daughter D&M. I was thinking that maybe it's an auditory symbol of Don's perfectly crafted persona turning to shit or beginning to fall apart. In the episode, he has to rehash the whole Dick Whitman thing with Pete. It reminded him of his time in war and all the lies that come with it. He has to admit surrender to Ted in exchange for this plot thing, which also required the uh, initial admission that Don was warring with him in the first place. And now Sally knows the kind of man her father really is. Plus, Don freaks out when Dr. Rosen comes over in the last dinner scene, obviously because he thought he'd been caught by someone other than his teenage daughter. Not but, but my God, that was brutal. Don having to shake the hands of the man who he's put horns on and his son and then gushing and thanking and being proclaimed the hero. Yeah. Right all in front, front of, of Sally. His, yeah, God. his daughter who just that. The squeaky shoes are loud and distracting and suggest anything but a well-put-together man who has his life in control. Also, he was drunk as fucked and looked like shit. So that, too, was a contributing factor in his dwindling fa- facade. I almost said facade. Facade. God Shame help me. Facade of infallibility. Lastly, I'm sure you probably answered this question a hundred times before, but what's the intro music for the podcast? <laughs> it's really classy to play while sitting in front of a fireplace, drinking a scotch, and thinking about how classy I am. That's why we picked it out. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh, so I think De- Manolo Desinado number nine no, or something get like that. Out of here. I think Manolo would pr- pronounce it desafinado. Uh, it's desafinado. I don't. It's so desafinado is not a song that you can easily look up it's uh it's more of like a style it's a composition that a lot of people have covered including like frank sinatra and just like tons and tons of people and i don't know what our particular version of it is um Um, i used to put that in the show notes what the hell happened i don't know It's, it's lost in the ether now uh i We'll try to find that out. All right. But not while I'm reading email. Um, Adam Z said, hey, guys, first time writing in. We didn't want to talk about the squeaky shoes at all because we did talk about it. Oh, in real life? Yeah. Tell me your your thought. I didn't think much of it. I thought I – because not only do you hear the squeaky shoes, but you hear the door closing very prominently. You hear just in that silence and that – that awkward moment, you just feel everything uh, a little bit more pronounced. And I thought the shoes played into that, but I don't know that they were saying anything necessarily about Don that hadn't already been said in those final minutes. Oh. I think if the if the lobby scene didn't tell you that this is a man who doesn't know what the hell to do and that his world is crumbling around, down around him, those shoes weren't going to do it for you. Um, I also think squeak. I always, when I hear a guy walking down this hallway, uh, squeaky shoes, I always think, what a, what a tool. So I think there is a little <laughs> okay. bit, and I don't think I'm the only one. Huh. 
and I've had my shoes are squeaked on occasion. Um, <laughs> but but I'm just saying, I think that they're, they're that's a it's a it's a conscious choice. They had to throw yes. that in. Some foley guy had to put that in at the direction of no, Matthew. No, 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 no. I don't think because shoes do that, especially new shoes will do that. They will squeak. Nice dress shoes, they're brand new, will squeak. I think that it just happened on the set and they decided not to take it out because mm. it felt more authentic. I mean, Don is going to be wearing new shoes all the time. He's is probably he? going to squeak, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's a guy who's very concerned about his appearance. Hmm. Why wouldn't he have new shoes? Why wouldn't he indeed? I, I don't think they went back and put that in. You don't think so? No, I think that was recorded on the set. Uh, Ellen, this is just for you. I looked it up. It is, uh, what did you say? Desafinado? Desafinado, yeah. By Stan Getz, G-E-T-Z, from the Mad Men musical compilation. Okay, And that's actually, uh, you can download that on Amazon for 99 cents. So check it out. Sweet. Uh, I don't know why that, I used to put that in the show notes, every single thing, because we should properly credit where we get the music from. We should. Plus it was linked, hot link to Amazon with our uh, (laughs) affiliate link. Uh-oh, uh, we lost out on at least two ninety-nine cent sales. At least. We need to get on we need to get back on that. <laughs> uh moving on. Adam Z says, Hey guys, first time writing in. Had to after such an amazing episode. I'm sure you're both psyched to see some finality to the Bob Benson arc and seem to be proven right that Bob is in fact gay. But if you follow Matt Zoller sites Writing on the New York Magazine, he is an interesting alternative theory that Bob may not be gay, but a sociopath who acts in that way he thinks people want. As opposed to traditional views of sociopaths, sometimes sociopathic behavior manifests itself in ways that appear nice. But these kind acts are usually only performed to please and give power to the person performing them. Think of how he took charge when he entered Pete's office. He totally dominated Pete, who is the boss. That's true. But I've seen wet Kleenex dominate Pete, so not that impressive. (laughs) It's impossible that in that moment where he bumped his knee up against Pete, he was giving Pete what he thought Pete wanted, possibly reading Pete's behavior as that of a closet homosexual. Obviously, I'm on board with this theory. It's what I you know, promulgated myself. He also crazy. totally took charge of Joan and Ginsburg. He's constantly doing this with everyone. Take a second look at his face when he walks out of Pete's office. He's walking like a man who's running shit. Super self-satisfied. Really? I totally that's, disagree with that's everything the in this email. one part that I think you're not right on, Adam. That's the one part of my theory that's hard for me to swallow is he looked Crushed. pretty damn uh, at least ashen. And there's way, multiple things you can read into that. He looked triumphant. Yeah. He was not. I agree with that. Um. So anyway, thank you for that. I like a lot of it, but having a hard time reconciling it with uh, his general demeanor. Uh, Michael W. said, One of the major themes of this season has been how Don has been haunted by his traumatic childhood and how those experiences shape his current life. The scene where young Dick Whitman watched his stepmother have sex in a whorehouse while Uncle Mac is nearly identical, or with Uncle Mac, is nearly identical to Sally witnessing her father cheating on his stepmom with the neighbor's wife. Being that the wiener loves to be cyclical with his characters, I can only assume that his experience will serve as more than a loss of innocence and strained relationship with her father. This event will likely impact her negatively and shape her worldview for the rest of her life. I'll be curious to see how this manifests itself next season. I expect to see rebellious Sally perhaps running away to San Francisco or numbing herself with drugs at Woodstock. When did Woodstock happen, Jim? Did you look that up real quick? 69. Did it? Yeah, because 25 years happened in 94. Uh, think of this too. All right. Think of this. 
not only is that very reminiscent of the scene visually, but Don is looking through a keyhole and Sally has keys in her hand mm. when she walks in that room. Life is nothing but a series of doors, Jim. <laughs> wow. She walked in the wrong one. <laughs> Jeez. Another major theme of the season is how Don cannot easily reinvent himself anymore as he grows older. In the past, he could change his ident entire identity, run away, or simply start over. But he cannot do that when he comes to his kids. He can't just trade him in like he has for new business or for a new wife. Ironically, in last week's hallucin hash hallucination, when Megan was pregnant, the baby is referred to as a second chance. This week, though, ooh, ooh, Michael. <laughs> you gonna rub knees? You, with you just felt my kneecap, Grace. Yours. <laughs> This week, though, showed Don that there's no second chance when it comes to your kids. Too fucking right. <laughs> That's like, so rubbing elbows is one thing. Rubbing knees is now an entirely <laughs> different thing. And touching wieners. Oh, Chicago. That's the yeah. Chicago style. Sure. The realization he cannot fix this or run away from it is why he's so devastated and that he's lost that he's pacing in the lobby. I really think screwing up his kids is the one thing Don never wanted to do. Any and all other consequences he could hack and are probably prepared to deal with. Don has now bought the same, brought the same pain of his childhood to his daughter's life, and goddamn, that is sad. Yep. I just hope this is finally rock bottom for him. I yeah. doubt it. Well, Matt Weiner said this is probably the worst thing that's ever happened to Don. Uh, so. Oh, so this is the darkest point in his life that he's talking about. Yeah. Huh. All right. So he's going to, you know, all kitten kisses and rainbows from here on out? <laughs> oh, I doubt that. But so far, yeah, you might be right. It might Is there a flying worse. metaphor here? Like, you know, Teddy said, you got to just get above the cloud layer. And shh. I don't think so. No. In the plane of Don's life, we're not going to see him whip out his shades and put them on as he pulls out into the sun? <laughs> nope. Uh, he doesn't even own a bomber jacket, so forget about it. <laughs> that's uh, a wrap. That's it, man. Uh, thanks, everybody, for the feedback. We had a lot of good takes this time. If you time. want to give us some more, madbin at baldmove.com. Uh, follow me each week for our live Facebook thread on facebook.com slash baldmove. Check out Jim for his live tweeting. Uh, and not just madmin. You've been tearing it up. Uh, I did some Falling, falling Skies, skies this week. Style. Yeah, so I... You going, I are like you still that show. In? You still in on Falling Skies? Yeah, I'm still in on Falling I'm actually more in after this season premiere. It, the problem was it was two hours. So I got the first hour in because it started at nine, and then I had to switch over to Mad Men oh. to do like the show that we actually talk about. You know? That's bull. That's shitty. So I got the season premiere cut in half for me, and then I watched the rest of it afterward. But yeah, yeah I'm still in on that show. All right. Um, yeah, so you can do that at twitter.com, at baldmove. And again... Please consider a Kickstarter. It's an experiment. Uh, if it doesn't work, no hard feelings. We're still podcasting, breaking good. We're just trying to make it better. Trying to make it better for you. Trying to figure out ways we can do that with uh, our increasingly busy schedule. Yep. Um, so if you'd like to help out on that, check it out. Kickstarter.baldmove.com. That's all I got. That's it, man. We uh, That's a wrap. Only two more episodes left in this season. Yeah. It's it's gone by shockingly fast, I got to say. I'm, I'm, dude... I'm already mourning Game of Thrones, but this has been such an awesome one-two punch on my Sunday nights. Yeah, yeah. That it going away, uh, it's going to be a long two months. And it's it's exactly two months from today till Breaking Bad comes on the air. Yes. Uh, it's going to be a long two months. It is. It is. We may cover some other stuff. We may not. Who knows? 
but until next week, where we will be back with another episode of Mad Men Happy Hour, uh, I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. Thank <laughs> you.